right, everybody, welcome back to the hungriest episode of the Mind of George show. And I'm going to be really, really honest. Some of you know I'm doing the 75 hard challenge and I have to eat a certain way to support everybody and follow Andy's thing. And my guest today is probably the worst guest to have when it comes to being hungry and the best guest to have when it comes to business, resiliency, overcoming challenges, mindset, leadership, and everything in between. So like, let me just throw this out here before I bring Nick in, but we're talking world pizza team, went from pizza delivery guy to owning six franchises, awards across the board, motivational speaker, everything that you can imagine, podcast host, has a book out there. And really, like, probably a man after my heart, every single thing that we talk about or every single thing that he has somehow has pizza or food involved. So that inner fat kid that I work really hard to keep at bay is going to be happy for today's episode. So without further ado, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, George. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for your time. Oh, man, I'm I'm just excited. I've d- after digging into, like, your story, I found a keynote talking about you as a child and uh, resiliency and mindset. One of the first things that I always love to ask my guests, and I think this is so right up your alley, and something that you're probably experiencing now and also have experienced in the past, but I always ask people, like, what was one of the biggest challenges or struggles or failures that you've had in business and what was the lesson that you learned there's there's been a lot of them i think a lot of times people think that it just everything happened overnight they see the the success and they think wow um you know this guy got lucky but i think that any entrepreneur knows out there that um there's a lot of a lot of ups and it's a giant roller coaster um from the very beginning i was a pizza delivery driver finally got my own shot at my own restaurant and I had a partner from the very beginning, and um, it that was it. That was the big mistake. It lasted. Um, we took over the restaurant September 14th, and by Thanksgiving, I had to tell my partner he had to go because he just could not stop drinking. We bought a uh, restaurant and a bar, and um, he was somebody I knew for eight years, good friend. He was going to be the guy. I was going to be the, uh, the the know-how behind it, and I had to tell him he had to get out. And he was okay with it because he really thought, you know what, um, it's it's okay because he thought there's no way I was going to come up with the money. And um, the guys who were there who were selling it to us saw saw how hard I was working, so they were like, you know what, uh, we don't like your partner either because every time we're here he's drunk. So we'll just go ahead and we'll finance it over five years. Give us what you can. Uh, give us this so much a month, and uh, the rest is history. But I think the the lesson I learned from from that is, you know, believe in yourself. You know, I think a lot of times people get into business and they think they need a partner. And, um, you know, if you work hard enough and think smart enough and there's a lot of people out there that you can ask for for help, like, don't be, you know, be humble. Be, be somebody that will ask for help when you don't know what to do. Yeah, man, I, I love that. And, and I think that's something that you like after digging in a little bit, like full disclosure, you're probably the only guest I research because you're like the most interesting man to me. And I was like, I got to keep finding out more. <laughs> And like, even at a very young age for you though, like even when you were growing up, I think you have like four brothers, right? Is that, is that right? I'm one one of four. One of four, right. So three brothers that even at an early age, you found that you tilted more towards like wanting to be a coach, wanting to be a leader, like finding out these parts of yourself that you could share with other people. But you at like a pretty young age were interested in like, believing in yourself and doing the work on yourself, right? Like, what was that What was that journey? I mean, I can't imagine being like 13 years old and be like, I don't want to be the star. I'm like, I want to go be a leader today. Like, that didn't get 
into me until the Marine Corps shoved it down my throat. And I'm so grateful that they did. But there, there was just punk kidding me until that point. So it sounds like you've, you've kind of been on this journey for a long time. And now you're kind of living in the results of it and doing it. But what was what was that like? Like, what was your childhood like? Like, where did you get started in all of this and come up and, and kind of keep that leadership mentality and apply it to where you got to today? Well, my, my older brother is, is uh, I'm number two. So my older brother's uh, seven years older than me. So when I was 11, he was off to college. So it was my younger brothers are four and six years younger than me. So there I was, a year old kid with a seven-year-old brother and, and a five-year-old brother. And really for the next um, four years, you know, it, it was us. He, he went, uh, we live in Pittsburgh. He went to college in uh, Daytona Beach. So he was for the most part, he was gone for the next four years. So, you know, I became, I guess, the older brother. And I was, uh, I love sports. I would, would sit there and watch Sports Center every single morning with my cereal. But um, I sucked, man. I was just a kid that was so uncoordinated. And, um, you know, th- there were certain certain sports, I guess, that I would just try really hard at. And um, baseball, I just could never get the hack of, hack of it or the hang of it. And then uh, football, I was just always too skinny. And, um, you know, I was probably like, I don't know, maybe in my five, five something, like maybe 70 pounds. Like I was just a, a bean pool. So it translates into one thing and that's coach. So I really enjoyed coaching my younger brothers, whether it was, uh, you know, helping with their, their baseball teams and being like the third base coach and a, the kid that was always keeping score for their teams. And then we had a youth foundation right down the hill from my house. And I became um, the floor hockey coach and, volunteer of the month down there and I just always was um found that I loved to to lead and I didn't really realize it and there were times where you know stupid kid stuff and I remember a guidance counselor pulling me in probably about sixth or seventh grade and he said you know uh you're a leader don't be following the other kids and I always thought maybe it's full of crap but the more that I look back on that I don't know what it was, if that was just the line he gives to everybody or if he actually really saw something in me, but I was. I, I always liked to be the one that, that um, kind of was the leader or, or kind of, and I didn't realize that. And I think as I got older, um, you find that out with your friends too. Like, you you know, you have a certain group of friends and each one has a role. And, and I was, um, you know, one of the ones that was always um, coming up with something to do or go somewhere. And and I, I just enjoyed um being part of sports that actually felt like I was, I was good at something. We would have practice when, when the other kids didn't have practices and we'd win the championships and everyone wanted to be on my floor hockey team. And, um, you know, we'd have pizza parties for the, for the team when we won and all kind of just little things that, that was a lot of fun. And like, you know, it's really hard to ask a kid 16, 17, 18, what do they want to do the rest of their life? I really didn't know. I always thought maybe it was something with sports and I, um, I'll never forget, I was sitting at the lunch table in junior year, and I said to my buddy, man, I'm making a lot of tips washing cars, and he said, I'm making way more tips delivering pizzas. <laughs> and that was it, man. I was, you know, I was hooked because I always worked from, like, maybe even, like, 10 or 12 on. I was, whether it was cutting lawns, lemonade stand, uh, baseball card show. I didn't just, like, go and sell the baseball cards or, or flip cards. I was uh, actually putting putting the show on at that same youth foundation, I'd find out that for like 85 bucks, I could rent the youth foundation out on a Sunday. So once I rented the space out for, for 85 bucks, we went ahead and, and I would go to the flea market that, that I went every week with my mom. She would sell chocolates there and I would, 
go around to the guys selling baseball cards and tell them, hey, I'm having a show. Uh, would you like to buy a table? And then before you know it, I'd be putting on these baseball card shows. So I think, you know, it was just like I didn't realize that that I was had entrepreneurial spirit in me. But um, my uncle was a was a butcher, always had his own business and they had a gas station. And he was kind of like uh, someone I really looked up to. And then my, my other uncle had a um, an awning and a roofing company. And um, I just think that, it, you know, somewhere in me, it was uh, always looked up to people who had their own business really really thought that that was something special. Yeah, man, I was riding my bike in the woods and you were taking over trade shows at like your local center to like be an entrepreneur. Like I, I'm like <laughs> sitting here, I'm like, man, I got such a late start <laughs> hearing you, but, but I love it. What do you think it was like, um, you know, basically like for me, when I hear you talk about leadership and like, you know, when you talk about like you were coaching your brothers and then you were having them practice when others weren't like, it sounds like you really understood like, okay, if we put in the work, we're going to have success. Like it's inevitable, but also like there's this piece of me that feels like you just really love people. Like you like love finding the best in people and bringing the best out of people. Is that kind of like what kept you going? Like I, I just can't imagine it like 14 years old being like, oh, well, I could go to a baseball card show or I can figure out that I can rent the hall for $85, put on my own, flip tables and get it going. But it just sounds like every every ounce of what you did was you were just like, I know I can do it. I believe in myself. I know it's just a matter of time if I keep going, but it also sounds like at the core of it, you really just understood that people were at the core of everything that you did. Well, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think the other part was by putting on the shows, I became friends with these 40 year old guys. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was really a, to put, put a timestamp on it. And it was when the uh, 89 upper deck Griffey juniors came out. And um, so it was right around then, like real big baseball card craze. And, and um, you know, I guess side note, I think it's so awesome starting to come back and, you know, Gary V's pushing them. So I think it's a pretty cool that you're seeing baseball cards and everything come back around. But at that time, you know, I became friends with these these older guys. So it was like they were giving me deals and I was able, not that I was putting on the shows, like I was like almost their equal. So they were, they were hooking me up and my card, you know, I was getting great cards and it just worked, I, I think. It worked really good, and there's there's a certain point where yes, you know, um, everything's about people. It doesn't matter if I'm in the pizza business or whatever it is, you're in the people business. And I guess I always go back to certain things that you hear throughout your life. You know, the the golden rule and treat others how you want to be treated. And I always say there's reasons that you hear these things all the time, and it's because they're true. Yeah. You know, you don't just hear these things all the time because you know your grandma liked to repeat them. Like there's a lot <laughs> of things that. That are just true and i think the other part that that you know some of it's how you're wired and that's the self-awareness and getting into knowing yourself but you know i definitely am one of those people that that i'm either all in or all out like it doesn't matter what i do i do it full tilt i cannot just um do something a little bit like i can't it doesn't matter you know if i've got a hobby and um i'm feeding the birds I've got the biggest, baddest bird feeder there is. Like, yep. it's just the way it's just the way I'm wired. And if I'm in the pizza business, like, there's no way I'm going to have just one restaurant, you know, that's a local mom-and-pop shop, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great to be that community one shop. Like, I'm going to be the destination. I'm going to be the guy that's on the map. I'm going to be going to Italy to compete in competitions. I'm going to be speaking at the competition. 
speaking at the competitions and the expos. I'm going to write a book about it. Like that's just the way I'm wired. So, yeah, well, I mean, it, I think it speaks to the results, but also the practice of like the embodiment, right? There's a big difference between being interested and being committed, right? And being interested is a hobby that produces part-time results and being committed. You're like, I'm going to do whatever, like you and I get along great. Like my wife, went to the pet store with my kids to get a hamster and came home with a pet snake. And I was like, oh, geez, here we go. And then I was like, a week later, I'm like a professional herpetologist, right? Like, I'm like, their humidity, this is their feeding schedule. Their cage needs to look like this. This is how we take care of them. Now, a month later, we have three snakes. And I'm like, literally like the snake whisperer. My wife's like, you're obsessed about this. I'm like, no, well, if we're going to have them, we're going to have them perfect. They're going to have everything they need. I'm going to know everything about it. And I'm going to make sure they get taken care of. Like, you and you and I would be dangerous in a business together because it, it really I, – I feel the same way, but I also feel like that's one of the things that's missing in today's market, right? Like I feel like there's a lot of businesses. There's a lot of internet marketing. There's a lot of – you know, everyone's like, oh, it's so easy here. Go buy this. Go buy this. But if you're not all the way in, like self-aware of like who you are and what you want to do and then having that to go find your customers, know how to support them, know how to serve them and then apply that into your business like it can't work and like and i'm gonna give you kudos like you went into one of the hardest businesses that there is like not only the restaurant business but the low margin restaurant business that really isn't like something i was like oh i'm going out for this michelin star pizza it's like a hobby and it's a consumable but it's a hard industry like i grew up working in pizza shops and all i have left to show for it is still the burns on my arm right because my arm would get stuck to the top of the oven like once a month because i wasn't paying attention but you know, what I love about that, and, and I want to transition into this because now you own, what, five locations? Five or six? We, we own five. Um, COVID kind of nixed the sixth one. We were going to do one in April, and when COVID came out strong in March, I I just could not pull the trigger for a 7,000-square-foot restaurant. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was super hard decision because I'm just like, you know, everything I just said, I'm always full steam ahead. Like, man, I was like, am I being lazy? Am I being paranoid? Am I like not taking the risk and i was like no like i think i'm actually being a little smart here you know yeah but um man that was tough but yeah i have i have five um we're gonna celebrate our eighth year um coming up here in september and we're gonna do roughly uh right around 10 million dollars in in pizzas this year wow uh, over five stores yeah that's amazing and so when you when you look back right so you started you went from okay, I'm a coach to hosting pizza parties, which I love. That was just the seed you needed. I have a feeling you've loved pizza your whole life. And basically, I have, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. And then yep. you went from that to like your buddies, like I'm making way more tips as a pizza delivery driver, which by the way, I was a pizza delivery driver and I made a boatload of tips because I treated yep. people good. Um, and then you're like, okay, I want to buy this restaurant, right? You learned your lesson. You lost the partner, as which was a gift. Like you molted that one out and then you took off. And then what was that like first year, like that first two years, because you had one. And then what was that journey like to go from like, okay, I'm financing this pizza shop to, I have to flip this thing around. I have to make it profitable. Then I have to expand. Like, what was that journey like? Well, the, the journey really started, um, a lot younger and a lot longer than, than when I opened it. Yeah. You know, when we bought the business, I was 34, just to give you an idea. So you know, we had my wife and I, we just celebrated um, our 20th anniversary. Congrats. Yep. Thanks. And so we have um, a 20 year old and an 18 year old. So really, when I was 21, 22, you know, new father, um, you know, when we found out we we're going to 
have our daughter. I was making seven and a quarter an hour. And, um, you know, my wife said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we're going to get married and get a house. You know, like, okay, <laughs> done deal. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, the next 14 years, I just really grinded. Yeah. And, you know, people use that word all the time. And, and um, you know, I, I think I used that word before it was cool. Like, I was 80, 90 hours a week, literally five jobs um, all in the same week. And, and um, it wasn't like side jobs. It was like straight on, like, full-time uh, mailman at the post office where I always say dreams go to die. Um, and then full time at Papa John's being the general manager, I was, um, delivering at two other pizza shops. I was counting the money at the civic reader where the Pittsburgh Penguins played at night. And, um, man, I just, you know, everything I could to, to kind of have a, a normal family, you know, and, and, um, try and raise two kids without a college degree. And I think I always was that guy, and all the different, you know, Domino's, Papa John's that I worked at that would go in and build the sales. I learned at a very young age when um, um, a manager was going to go ahead and, and uh, fire me, the supervisor, because my walls were dirty, the oven was dirty, and I was working 80, 90 hours a week. And we went out to a meeting in uh, Ohio because that's where the other eight franchise stores were, and there was four in Pittsburgh. So every month we would drive out to Ohio, me and three other general managers who were all older than me. When we would get out there, everybody would always go ahead and clap for whoever had the highest sales. So they'd be like, Hey, art Nashville is up 10% clap for him. Next meeting, you know, Joe and Youngstown's up 10% clap for him. When I heard he was going to fire me, I was like, you know what? Sales fixes everything. And I was like 22 years old and I read uh gorilla marketing. I went to borders when there was a borders, bought gorilla marketing, uh, right in front of the back. I can't say there was anything in there that like stood out to me besides the concept that you have to get out of, your comfort zone and you have to get out of your space and go and get the sales and not wait for them to come to you. Mm -hmm. Next meeting, everyone clap, Nick's up 10%. Next meeting, everybody clap for Nick, he's up 20%. Next meeting, Nick's up 45%. Nick, tell everybody what you were doing. And what I was doing was I went to the school board and I sold them on selling pizzas for school lunches. I went to the school board and talked about being in the football stadium and the basketball contracts. So it was like, you know, I, I built myself up as a sales builder. So I always could make money for everybody else. And I think there was a certain point where, um, I guess, I guess the other part of the story, you know, real, real big part was, you know, that's probably like 22, 23, 24, 25. So right around there, Domino's picked me off and they moved me across the state to Wilkes-Barre. And when I got out to Wilkes-Barre, it was the same thing. They put me in a store that was doing 15 grand. I took it to 25 grand within a year. And, um, you know, the kids were maybe like four and two at the time or five and three. Um, you know, just to get an idea, it's still in still in Pennsylvania, but it's like five hours away. It might as well be in another state. And our family's always been real close. So, you know, my wife was took her away from our family and we're on the other side. And I always say we moved back because we were homesick, but the truth was how I told you that um, everything I do, that I do full tilt, you know, I had become a, uh, a, a horrible drug addict and a worse uh, alcoholic. And, you know, probably about 28 years old at that time. And I could say um, October will be 15 years clean and sober for me, no drugs, no alcohol. And what it, what it was, was, you know, she said, look, I'm going home. Um, I don't care if you come with me or not. And I went ahead and I, I quit my job. Um, she took the car back, I had no car, I had no phone, um, had no job, no kids, no wives. And just the next day, um, you know, I 
really, I reached down for the toilet paper. There's no toilet paper. And I said, you know what? Uh, I got nothing. And I just hit my knees and said, if you're real, like, help me. Like, that was that was it. Like, that was my moment that everything changed. And um, I just realized that, you know, when I came back, my mother-in-law had said, hey, my, um, you know, there's some counseling at the church. And uh, I thought, well, that's good. My wife needs counseling, you know. But, <laughs> but really, I, I needed the counseling. And uh, the counselor said, look, if you got, you know, you got to take your drugs and alcohol serious and go to at least a, a class about it. And I was like, well, I don't have a problem. And I went and, uh, man, that was it. That was like where my life started, really, for me, you know. And, and then after that, uh, everybody always talked about, you know, here I was this pizza guy and family, friends. Everyone was like, you need to get a real job. That's what I kept hearing. Get a real job. So I did. I sold radio advertising. You know, I asked my favorite interview question of all time, right when they're they're done. This is a tip for anybody out there. Right, right at the end, when they say, do you have any more questions? The best question to ask is, is there any reason you wouldn't hire me? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, yeah, because uh, you never sold anything. And I told them about all the contracts with pizza and everything else. And they went ahead and, and they, they hired me. And um, I sold radio for the next six months and I hated it. Anyone who can cold sell more power to you. Um, I cannot just, you know, walk into a place and try and sell them something not for me. Um, then I started delivering pizzas six months in and, you know, um, I was delivering pizzas. I was working all the different jobs, like I was saying. And then really what happened was, is I kept hearing this real job thing. I bought a, bought a very nice house for 170,000 showing my income of all the, all the pizzas that I delivered and all my tips. So, you know, bought it off of that. Um, Still had friends and family. It was like, oh, he must be selling drugs that he bought a house. But it was like, no, I really was, you know, I was turning my life around at that point. It was like two years into being sober. And, um, you know, I got a job at the post office because everyone was like, oh, you need a real job. And like I said, when I went to the post office and I looked around, I was like, you know what? This is where dreams go to die. Like people come here and uh, they say, we're going to work here the next 40 years. And that's it. They're going to they're going to retire. And really, you know, side note, because everything that's going on with the post office in in the news, you know, just a fact, when you become a a full time post office employee, the government has to back that retirement for the next however long you're going to be at the post office till you're 65. They pay for your pension all at once. So that's why they're bankrupt. They they won't tell you that on TV. But (laughs) the reason is because they want to start here. They pay their next 40 years of pay is already in the. The retirement's paid for. So it's like, you know, but that just tells you, like, that's where dreams go to die. And as soon as I went there, I was like, you know what? I'm going to open my own business. I don't know why it's pizza that I'm good at, but that's what I'm good at. And I love it. So I'm going to figure out how to do it myself. Yeah. So that's the the journey before the journey. So to answer your question, and I won't won't ramble as long, but the what happened was is then that, that time to figure out how to open a, a restaurant I just walked in the pizza shops once the, the partner said, hey, I, I'm going to max out my credit cards. Let's do this thing. I, we were in the, the uh, city of Pittsburgh, right by where University of Pitt is. And I would walk in and say, sell me your pizza shop. And these old guys were like, get the hell out of here. The fifth guy I walked into said, my buddy has a shop for sale in Bloomfield, which is over the bridge from University of Pitt. But still, you can deliver. I walked in and I said, oh, my God, it's a bar. <laughs> You know, I walked the back, full pizza kitchen, everything we need, and um, all the numbers lined up and everything. And, you know, I like to say for the next six months, I kept saying all I wanted was a pizza shop. But, you know, the the key moment there was I said to my wife, or she said to me, are you going to be okay? Because at that point, I wouldn't even go to the liquor store for her. I was seven years sober. I wouldn't even, if she wanted a bottle of wine, she knew not to ask me. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, you know what? This is a means to the end. And I asked my partner, are you going to be okay? Because he had a alcohol addiction but he never really 
um, expanded on it or, or got help for it. And he said, maybe. And that should have been the sign because it, it was terrible to see. I, you know, I, I really, uh, it was the one guy that like really believed in me enough that he put his money where his mouth is. I really wanted it to work. It was a, really a shame to, to see how it went. But that was really the struggle. And then I think the other part was it just was, you know, to anybody that's in business in the very beginning, you just have to do something every single day. That's that's what you have to do. Yep. You know, and I'll, I'll show you this right here. You know, see the elephant up there? Yep. One bite at a time. Yeah, man. That's how you eat the elephant. You know, and, and that's why it's up there. And that's that's the way I approach business every single day was um, just a little bit. What can I do today so that so when I leave tonight, it won't be the same as when I came the day before. Yep. And every day I did that. And it's like if you if you have that mentality that every day you're changing stuff, when you look back in a year, you're like, oh, my gosh, like I built this awesome place. Like everything's different. Yeah. But, you know, the, you ha that's the way you have to approach it. And that, that's how I approached that first year. In business. Yeah, man. Well, I, there's so much gold in there. I mean, there's so much to unpack. I mean, like you were working at Papa John's and then. You read a book on guerrilla marketing. Seth Godin is a co-author of that book. And um, you're like, it wasn't anything, but it shifted your perspective. And you're like, I'm going to find opportunity or I'm going to make opportunity, right? And then it's like, boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And then it, it comes up, right? And there's a lot of gold there. And I, it's it's got to be that like Pittsburgh, like blue collar thing. Like you guys are like the hardest workers like I've ever seen in my life, like ever. And I love it and the pride that comes into it. But like what you just shared, I think is probably one of the biggest challenges that I see in today's day and age. Like I was lucky that I was on deployment when the internet got popular, right? Like I couldn't have a Facebook account. I didn't get ingrained in social media. I was just doing hard labor in the middle of the desert. But like now I have to remind myself daily, like just one more thing, one more step back to the basics, like do this thing. And like, there's so much gold in that to where I think now we look at marketing sales business and it's like, we live in this delusion that it's like, oh, I'm going to have a unicorn tomorrow or it's going to build itself or it's going to convert itself or it's going to figure itself out. And like what you just said, like every single day, like just do one thing that makes it better. One thing that moves it forward. One more email, one more post, one more phone call. Like, man, like I love that. Like it, it there's so much gold wrapped up in that and the simplicity of it. I just, I absolutely love it. And so now you went from that one, and then how long did you have that one before you expanded? Well, I had three goals when I, when I took over the store in the very beginning. You know, it was very simple. Um, number one, to buy a car in this century, because I was the king of $500 cars. <laughs> I mean, the king. So I, I won a car in this century. Second goal was I wanted a little bigger house. Yeah. You know, that was, you know, what we wanted. We wanted a little bigger house. And then the third one was I wanted to know how I was going to pay for my kids' college yeah. because they were, you know, 12 and 10 at the time, and I didn't have a single penny saved. And, um, you know, it was important for me to, to be able to do that for them. So really a year in, I was like, man, I'm going to have all these goals accomplished. Like I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, well, well, now what? Is that really how I'm going to judge my success? And I said, you know what? It's not. When I can create an environment that the people who work for me can accomplish their three goals from working for me, then I can feel successful. So that's what's fueled the expansion. So I was like, we have to go open another store. So and we were um, about two years in, it was um, 25 months. We opened the first one in September, the second one two years later in October. And then um, the third one was 16 months after that. 
And then the um, the fourth one was um, about the about 18 months after that. And then the fifth one was a year after the first or the fourth one. So it was like every year, year and a half, we were opening stores pretty much. And the same reason every time. You know, when I got to the second one, I still was like, I really didn't need to open more stores. But, you know, we've created a lot of career positions. We have a, over about roughly 200 employees, uh, definitely before COVID. But, you know, we still have bartenders and servers not working at the moment. But, you know, we're somewhere between that 150 and 200 range of employees. We've created great Christmas parties and holiday parties and summer picnics and uh, places where people want to work and, you know, promotions we make a big deal of. And we just really love our people. That's yeah. that's what it's all about. And I think, you know, I just wanted to create an environment that somebody would actually like to, to work there, you know, and, and that's kind of what we've, we've created. Yeah, man. I mean, like you literally, like I hear I, my heart gets so happy hearing you talk about this. Like, I feel like as an entrepreneur, my biggest struggle for years was, is I didn't know where I wanted to go or where I was going. Like I didn't have a goal. I didn't have a direction. Like I had a why, right? Like I want to break my pattern. I don't want to end up in the abuse cycle, an addict anymore. Cause I've been through 12 step meetings and like, I wanted to break it all. But there was still this level of like aimless. And I, I, I always tell people, you have to have a why greater than yourself. And, you know, what it was for me, it was my children. Like that was, that was it. It was like, I don't, I don't have a choice anymore. Like I have to do it. Right. And, you know, you said that. And then the one thing that like, I, I want to highlight that you said that is so powerful and literally the secret to every business success. And like, uh, you need to make this a tweetable. You're like, it wasn't enough to accomplish my goals. Your measuring stick was when the people who work for me accomplish their goals, that's how you knew that you made it. Like that's what you were working towards. Like that is the secret to every single business success that it's there, empowering the people to achieve their goals, having a why in a business greater than yourself. Like that just speaks to your character and like what you've done. Like I'm not, I'm surprised you don't have 85 restaurants and 8,000 employees at this point. Like that's a very, very grounded, noble, amazing thing to do and something that everybody should carry through. And I was like, yep, this is a people guy like all day. I love it. I love it. And I also want to talk about though, there was something I heard you talk about. And I think this was when you opened your first pizza shop, right? So we hit your people, we hit your clarity, but like some of the stuff that you did in marketing when you were making an improvement every day, like what is this concept of like hot selling, right? Like you had pizzas but instead of waiting for somebody to order a pizza or buy a pizza, you would make like 90 pizzas and you would send your drivers out and have them sell the pizzas, right? Like you made them like mini pizza hustlers, right? Can yeah, you, absolutely. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So basically what, what I did was I needed to raise the sales. And what I decided to do was I, I called out back and I said, hey, can I get some steak dinners for my guys, some gift cards? I'll trade you pizzas. They said, sure. And I told my guys, I was like, hey, if you sell all your pizzas that I give you this week, I'm going to give you uh, on top of your pay and everything. You're going to get a steak dinner. So for every time you sell all your pizzas. So we basically had three drivers come in in the morning, give them 30 pizzas each. Back then pizzas were, were six bucks for a 14 inch pizza. Mm -hmm. Store kept five. They kept one. And they would go to big box stores, construction sites, um, anybody on the side of the road, you know, local businesses, anywhere where there was people and they'd sell pepperoni and cheese pizzas for six bucks a piece. And, We'd sell 90 a day without the phone ever ringing. And we did this for, for years. It really, the only place that it stopped working was, this was great in the suburbs, but when I got a hold of some city stores, there was a lot of permits about, you know, how you could sell food in the city. Yeah. But, um, man, we'd hustle. We'd walk into Walmart, and, um, you know, this 
this, they'd buy them for the staff and everything else. And I mean, we, we were, we were selling 90 pizzas a day for a long time that nobody ever ordered. And it, we did, I think that's, you know, going back to where the sales fixes everything, there was so much that, that I learned at a young age with, with marketing. And, and I almost go back to sometimes in school, you pick up something that you didn't even realize you picked up. And you know what it was, was an English class in sixth grade. We were, had to write uh, fan letters and you had to write them to like 20 people. And so we wrote them to like 20 people and uh, you know, movie stars and such like that. And you, everybody get a couple of letters back that, you know, um, I remember getting one back from the Wonder Years from Fred Savage wrote one back and, you know, and, and you know, it'd be cool. And what I decided to do, of course, because I can't do just a little anything, you know, just a little bit. I wrote every single baseball team. Hey, I'm the I'm your favorite fan of the New York Yankees. I'm the favorite fan of the Boston Red Sox. I'm the whatever. And before you know it, all summer long, I'm getting all this cool shit in the mailbox every single day, you know, hats and and uh, baseball bats autographed. And every, I mean, it was awesome. And. What I learned later on was, you know, that's kind of marketing. Like if you're putting yourself out there, sure, maybe teams like the Baltimore Orioles didn't send me anything, but the Yankees sent me, you know, a ball signed by like 10 people, you know, and then maybe the Royals didn't send me anything, but the Twins sent me, you know, this this hat and scarf and winter jacket and shit. Like, you know, so it gave me an idea. Like if you're out there, uh, when I got in business, you know, you can – don't worry about the no's. Just keep going for the yeses. Just keep going. Just keep going. And that, that's what I would do. And I think it was a lesson at a very young age that I didn't really even catch till I was a lot older that there's a there's power in numbers. You know, the more that you're out there doing stuff, um, the, the bigger your results are going to be. And it doesn't matter how much you're doing. And then, then somewhere along the line, um, I would say probably when I after addiction, I really got into personal development, like real big, you know, like, I really like what you said when we were off air about, you know, to help with the scars, you know, and that really was, was the truth. I didn't even, I don't think I realized until you said that, but that was, you know, probably where the personal development came in. And, um, I read a great book called the sales machine by Chet Holmes. Yep. And one of my favorite parts in there was about the dream 100. And what I would do is uh, in the pizza world, we sold, uh, extra large pizzas for $8.99 if you had a big order. So I went ahead and made the professor special. $8.99 for if you ordered five or more extra large pizzas. I made that flyer. I shoved it ever under every single door and in every professor mailbox at, at Carnegie Mellon and the University of Pitt. And we had orders of 20 pizzas, 100 pizzas, 75 pizzas, 160 pizzas. And I mean, we we would come in at nine in the morning, just start stretching pizzas for these giant lunches. And I, I mean, the professor special was like the biggest hit that there was. So there were so many things that I've done marketing. I really feel like on top of being the people person, I've always had a niche for the marketing. And I think um, that was where um, my cousin had hair salons and she always believed in me before I opened my own pizza shop. And she'd say, Nick, you can do it. You, you know how to market. And that's, you know, a huge part of business. Like, and you're good with people. She's like, you've got to do it for yourself. Like you'll be successful. And I think, um, you know, that was a lot of it is just believing in yourself at a certain point. Well, t totally. I mean like this whole episode so far, like when you really think about it, like what you're talking about is like, you're just a walking marketing example. Like I tell people, my definition of marketing is a two way value based long-term relationship. Like that's it. That's marketing, right? It's a, I know you, you know me, we have a relationship, let's go. And what you just said is something that I think is so prevalent where like you had pizzas, right? And 
I tell people you can either only innovate on product experience or customer experience, right? You probably already have the best pizza. You love pizza. You make it the best that you can. The pizza is not going to change. You have to change the wrapping paper. Like that professor special is genius. You're like, okay, cool. Well, I'm already doing it. How can I add personalization there? You change a title on a flyer and you slip it under speaking to your avatar. They're like, oh, I'm a professor. I want five pizzas. Like I, it's like, it's so good. Like what is your process behind like coming up with some of these ideas? Like, do you just like go meditate, you go for a walk or do they just hit you when they hit you? Do you like put it through a process or you're like, you know what, this is an idea. I'm just going to try this and see what happens. But like, what's your process behind some of your crazy marketing stuff, like, cause obviously you have the results to prove it, but I know you probably have thousands of ideas a day. Uh, so, so there's a couple of different methods, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to say that if you see somebody else doing something that works, you know, you should probably try and do it too, yeah. especially this day and age with the internet, you can see all over people in different markets doing different things. So especially if, if you've got a business zoned in like pizza business, I've got, you know, I don't know, 500 or 1,000 pizza friends all across the country. And, you know, with COVID, you know, I would see so many good ideas that the pizza operators were doing during COVID. And, and we would take that idea and just make it our own. We went ahead and started doing pizza kits mm -hmm. during COVID. And I would imagine at this point, you know, you probably have seen them where somebody's saying, hey, we're going to give you dough, sauce, cheese, and pepperoni, and you can take it home for 10 bucks and make it at, make it at your place, you know. And, um just different ideas that like those, like some we do copy, you know, we make, we make our own, but we take the idea and run with it. I think the other one is sometimes there's a, there's a need, you know, maybe we're sitting around like, okay, um, sales have been down a little bit. Um, great example would be the last couple of weeks. This is perfect. This is exactly what you're talking about. And we're, we're down a little bit because they shut down the restaurant completely. The governor did. And then they opened it up to 25% capacity to, for um, the restaurant. So we just decided, hey, we're going to keep the restaurants closed, just do pickup and delivery. And I'm like, man, we're, we're down a little bit. How can we pump something up? You know, what can we do? Um, we just want people to be talking about us because that's what, that's what a lot of marketing is too. You want people talking about you. Mm -hmm. How can we do that? And I said, we're turning eight next next month. You know, we're, we're going to have an eight-year anniversary. I said, let's, let's give away eight free pizzas for a year. And then, then we can send the press releases, we can have a contest. We can, you know, put it all over social media that we're giving away eight free pizzas. We're turning eight years old, and um, not just eight free pizzas, but free pizza for a year, right? Like, like uh, that's enough to break your fast, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, right. So, so that was the idea that we came up with two weeks ago, and and then we put it into motion like right then and there. So I think, um, you know, and now if you go on the website and everything, it's everywhere about free pizza for a year. You know, your chance to win, enter and win. But I think. Um, to answer your question that sometimes it comes out of need. Yeah. Sometimes it, it comes out of watching what other people do. And then I also think that there's a certain point where the, the, the mindset, the, the meditating, um, you know, I'm, I'm really big into, um, the, the book that changed everything for me that went from five jobs to where I am now is thinking real rich Good book. and yep. And, um, that, that's it. Just the mindset of, you know, not focusing on what you don't have, but focusing on what what you do have or what you you want to have and and feeling it and touching it like you already have it now, and then that's kind of where some of those great ideas come in. Is like, you know, I wake up in the morning or wake up at three in the morning. I got pen and pad next to my 
bed every night and I'm just like, oh, this is a great idea. And I wake up in the morning, a little groggy, go through my gratitude, go to get up. I look over, I'm like, oh, cool. I had a great idea last night. Like, there's a lot of things that, like, when you get in tune with your subconscious, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you don't even realize are running through your mind and, like, ideas just pop out out of nowhere. Totally. And uh, what I've learned is not to question the ideas, but to try them out. Yep. You know, and try them out full full tilt. And then I really am surprised sometimes when when we try something out. I'm like, wow, that was like kick ass. Well, totally. I mean, like I'll use a Pittsburgh story. Like Vince Papali, if he never went and tried out, he never would have been on the team. Like never would have happened. Like with the Eagles and all the football story. Like, you know what you nailed. Like I call it those ideas. I call it intuition. Like when you give yourself the space, like you have wisdom. Like you have clarity when you're not clouded by all that stuff. And, you know, to tie it back to what you said earlier, really – your belief in self. It's not a belief in that it will work or won't work. That's not what matters. It's not about the finish line. Like I believe in myself that I can try this, that I can put this in. I'm going to give it the licks. I'm going to give it the chance to win. Like if you give something oxygen, it, it's bound to work. But what I love is that you're not like, I'm changing my whole business model. I'm changing the recipe of the pizza. You're like, no, no, I have that. That's my control. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to get more attention. I'm going to try to innovate on the experience. I'm going to get it in the hands of more people. Like I, I absolutely love it. And and for those of you listening, if you haven't read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, please do. Uh, there's another thing on Audible you might enjoy. Um, they have his, un, um, his recorded lectures that weren't released in a book, but you can buy them on Audible. And it's all of his lectures, like when he was doing them in person. I think they're actually really, they're really good listens for me after listening to both of them. And so, so the eight pizzas for a year thing, is that you're giving away a pizza for a year to eight different people? Yeah. So basically the way it works is, um, the IRS says after 600 bucks, you got to show it on your taxes. So we're giving a $599 and 99 cent gift card to eight different people got it. and they can use it any way they want over the next year. That's kind of how, how, how we're doing it. Got it. You know, but that, that's, that's the part of marketing. And, and you know, another, I, I, I love that you love. The, the idea and the uniqueness marketing. So I'm going to give you another one of my favorite, you know, if you had to say what's your top couple favorite things you've ever done, this is, you know, one of my favorites. We, I have been Facebook marketing since 2013, paid Facebook marketing. Okay. So early, like I figured it out. I saw that if I had Facebook followers, it would translate into customers and I figured it out, you know, kind of a side story how I figured that out. But anyway, from figuring that out, the radio station came out and they had a, a best pizza in Pittsburgh contest and you had to vote online. So I went ahead and um, I put paid Facebook ads together, got everybody to vote and we finished third, which may sound like, okay, well, what would you do with finishing third? And this is where I, this is my favorite part right here. So the first two that won were institutions in Pittsburgh. They were pizza shops that had been around for years and years. And we had only been around maybe, maybe 12 months at this point. And I just took that and spun it as, you know, WPXI, the radio station, named us best new pizza in Pittsburgh. We finished third. Nobody told me we were the best new pizza in Pittsburgh, but the first two were there for 50 years. So yeah. we were. We were the best new pizza in Pittsburgh. And I took that best new pizza in Pittsburgh, and I put it everywhere. And, I mean, I pounded it and for a long time. And um, that's where, you know, that was in between store one and store two, and that's probably where – the sales we took from a $4,000 a week store to like a 20 some thousand a week store just in that first year. And a lot of those, you know, that was a huge part of it. But it's like, how do you play the words in marketing? It's so important. 
Well, and it, and that's that's really what it is. Like I think you know when you think about your marketing message, I love that by the way. You think about your marketing message. We're conveying the same message, but sometimes you have to change the order or change the language. Like sometimes it's not received in English, even though we intend it to be. And and I think that's why like. Normally, it's just like marketing to be successful is just communication that works both ways, right? And so if you have a marketing message and it's not working, it's not because of your product, right? Like try something different, change the language, change the positioning, go after a pain point, go after a celebratory thing. You have to know your avatar. You have to know what they respond to, right? And everyone's like, everyone wants to try stuff that's new. And like, in my opinion, you sure as shit nailed it because that literally was the best new pizza in Pittsburgh, right? Like it's, it's awesome the way that you spun that. That's... That's amazing. I love your marketing brain, by the way. I absolutely love how well you think about it and those ideas. Now, when you think about, because what I think is interesting is too, is that, you know, I talk a lot about product experience, customer experience, and I've helped local businesses, but I, I do a lot of stuff online, right? So when you think about your restaurants though, like knowing your marketing brain, knowing your people brain, like how do you think through customer experience? Like when you think through somebody comes into the store, what do I want them to feel? Somebody orders delivery. Like, do you do anything... I don't need to ask, do you? I know you do everything for customer experience, but like, what are some of the things you do for customer experience, both like in store, in delivery, in takeout, and then like with your marketing and messaging to have that experience with your store? So I think what's what's unique about everything that you said was, you know, I was a pickup and delivery pizza shop guy when I bought the restaurant. Okay. And I'll never forget the very first day when I came out and there was a table with 12 and we were trying to figure out how to bring all the food out at once, how to wash the silverware. I'm like, holy shit, I just bought a restaurant. Like, <laughs> so it, I, I gotta say, man, we were really good at the message with the sales and the marketing, but man, we struggled with the service in the restaurant. You know, um, the little things like, we didn't have a hostess when we opened. So somebody would stand at the door for 15 minutes, get pissed off and nobody came up to them and left. You know, um, they'd finished their meal and we weren't coaching the, the waitresses to go and grab their glasses, you know, quick or get the refills quick enough or put their bill down at the end, like right away, like not, um, you know, wait to put your bill down. Like it's okay to put it down a, a little bit. Hey, we're not rushing you, but here's your bill, your check if you need it, you know, like, and then checking back to see if it was there. Like we didn't know how to coach any of that stuff. So, you know, I, I always try to do the, the, the smartest thing I can is if I don't know something, hire somebody who does, you know, that's, that's my approach. So, I brought in a uh, great restaurant guy who's been with me six years now. He was a brewmaster, a bartender, uh, front of the house through and through. He's now my beverage director for the whole company. Um, he just came in as like my first bar manager, my first like real uh, hus hus um, hospitality type guy. And, um, you know, he helped us. And I read a ton of books and I watched a ton of bar rescue. And I don't care what anybody says about the yelling and screaming on bar rescue, but there's a lot of great stuff in there. And um, I just really, you know, learned it. I was like, I have to learn how how this all works. So I think, um, you know, now we, we really try to just make sure that it's it's uh, every touch restaurant, somebody's there to meet you. You know, and that that's what a lot of it is, that when somebody comes in, the hostess is, you know, eye contact, you know, and, and a smile. And, you know, that's what we try to preach is, is um, a lot of it is about the smile, you know, to... to um, to serve the best pizza we possibly can and serve it with a smile. Like, you know, that's, um, that's a lot of, a lot of what we try to do. We, we have a ton of meetings. Um, first Tuesday of every month is all the managers. Third Tuesday of the month is upper management meetings. Every single Monday is all the general managers on a uh, phone call. 
um, Zoom's a little too crazy for us, but we, we do the, the phone call meeting and, um, you know, we go through all the numbers every Monday. And then the, the first Tuesday of the month with all the managers, we're talking about everything that what worked the month before, what's coming on new. And then the upper management meeting is like our, our brainstorm. Hey, round table, what do you guys need? What do you think we should be doing? We're, you know, here's the direction I'm thinking, what do you, how can we get there? And, um, you know, a lot of it is just the communication of, um, how, how to achieve these things. But yeah. I think that that's just kind of how it all wraps up. You know, that that's a lot of. Yeah, I think what you nail and I, I and, and I'm going to just, you know, disseminate this down is that well, you've nailed culture, right? Like your customer culture, like everyone has a touch point. They have eye contact. They feel seen. They feel heard. They feel respected. They feel a part of the family. And then you foster an environment where your managers and your team members are open. It's not a dictatorship. It's a two-way relationship. What can we do to get better? What do you need? How can we support you? Knowing that the undertow is you're like, my job is to help my employees achieve their goals. And then they have the platform and the space to be like, hey, Nick, we need to do this. Can we do this? Can we have this? And you guys foster this growth. And I think really like what I hear that I think is so important for everybody to take away is that you never settle. Like there's not a day where you're like, we've made it right. Like we have it all figured out. You're like, Oh, what can I read? What can I do? How can I tweak it? How can I improve it? Hey, maybe I read something that I might want to do. I don't need it now, but I know it's a possibility. It changes the way I think. Like what I love that I hear in everything you say is that you're a perpetual student in the business and your your focus is improving on your product, your experience, your customers, your team, and you're like willing to do whatever it takes to learn that to figure it out, right? Like the game is the game is your finish line. You're playing it, you're playing it, and you're playing it. And I don't know, I just think that's such a novel thing. And and I have no no shock in my body as to why you are where you are and why you do what you do. I mean, it's apparent how much you love people and how that comes. I actually can't wait to fly to Pittsburgh and taste your pizza. Uh, um, I, I bet you, I bet you every customer, I bet you have testimonials left and right where they're like, I can feel the family in this pizza. It feels like love with every bite. Like you get that when you foster that culture and that's so important in everything that you do. I absolutely love it. So I, I, I forget to do this every time, by the way. Um, I always want to tell people in the beginning where to find you so I can say it multiple times and use some NLP, but I completely forgot at the beginning. I was so excited talking about pizza. Um, so for everybody listening, uh, before we get into another question, Nick has an awesome podcast. Uh, it's called the Business Equation Podcast. He also wrote a book called The Pizza Equation, you know, like the world champion pizza team, everything like that. But um, the best place to find Nick, of course, hit up his podcast on iTunes and Apple. But his website is Nick uh, Bogaz. So it's N-I-C-K-B-O-G-A-C-Z.com, right? N-I-C-K-B-O-G-A-C-Z.com. And I wanted to say it now because we're going to say it again at the end. But I want to make sure you guys hear it once. Write that one down. It's, I bet you if you Google him. He's the only one you'll find. So Google would be your friend in this one. Nick Bogaz. I bet you can write like Nick B Pizza World Champion and find him too. But I, I wanna I wanna close Nick with with something. We're gonna end up having to do round two of this podcast because I just want to rip your marketing brain out and give people multiple disseminations of it. But I have a I have a question that's not about marketing. So there's a whole lot of people that have been home and cooped up for a couple of months. What are your best tips to making pizza at home? Awesome. Yeah, very good question. So I think it's it's really um, kind of caught fire lately. I think you know people have really the the grills have been really popular for for years, and I think then you know everybody was smoking everything for a while, and I think you are starting to see a lot of home pizza chefs right now. And I can tell you some really simple um, tips. You know you can go and find a, a a great friend of mine 
is Tony Geminani, and he has a book called The Pizza Bible. Yep. And if you want to know how to make any style pizza at home, that's the book to buy. And then the secret that I will add to that is when you make the dough, I think a lot of times people think you can make the dough in the morning and you can make the pizza at night. And the secret that I'll tell you is when you make, make the pizza during the day, let that dough rest in your in your uh, refrigerator for about the next three days. So if you go on Monday, you can cook the dough on Wednesday or Thursday, at least two days. But really, if you made it on Monday and cooked it on Thursday, your dough is going to be fantastic. That real nice bready, you know, won't be gooey. You won't think it's undercooked. It's just going to be a great bread flavor. So it, a lot of it's about the dough and a lot of it is, uh, you know, having the time for the dough to really rise. And, you know, it's funny you said about being cooped up and everything. I went ahead and um, last year we were in Naples, Italy for a competition and, you know, the birthplace of pizza everywhere had the beautiful, gorgeous uh, Naples ovens, you know, the Neapolitan style. And, and I said, man, I, I, I need one of those. Like, I never thought that I needed to make pizzas at home, like as much, but like, like I, I just felt like that I was something that I saw that I needed. So um, early, early June, I went ahead and got a, a Neapolitan pizza oven put in and um, in the backyard. And it has just been the greatest gift during COVID, um, you know, whether it's just myself and our family cooking on it, or we do actually have not a gathering, but, you know, um, <laughs> my parents will come over, or, you know, my in-laws or something, not a few people. And we just make some fantastic pizzas there, but it's all about the dough. And I think uh, you can use anything out of your kitchen as far as sauce and cheese. It's all preferred on your taste, but you really want to um, make a great, great dough. Check out the pizza Bible and then give it enough time to rest. I love it. I love it. Learning how to make pizza. I used to, by the way, I used to be a food blogger and I wrote a New York Times bestselling cookbook. That was where I started in this whole game. We'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to cover that in another one because I really hate cooking, by the way. But it was it's a really interesting story. But uh, all of that. And by the way, I've smoked pizza on my smoker and that's really good as well. But that dough, that dough tip is is legit. And there's lessons in that for entrepreneurs. Patience. You got to let things marinate. You got to let them live. You got to let them breathe. You got to give them a chance to taste good. And I think that sums up this entire episode. So Nick, I'm going to give you a minute uh, at the end, any closing words, any you know parting words of advice for everybody listening though, make sure you go check out Nick, check out his podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes. I think they're great. He's had a few of my friends on um, and the website, I'm going to spell it again because I would need to hear it a few times for myself. So it's Nick, N-I-C-K. Bogaz, B-O-G-A-C-Z.com. You can pick up his book, The Pizza Equation, which talks about like running a successful pizza enterprise. And I'm sure there's some nuggets in there for business and marketing and mindset. Then you have his podcast, which is the the Business Equation podcast. And then you have Nick, the man himself, who you'll check out on the website. So Nick, before we wrap, any uh, closing words for everybody, any words of wisdom, anything you want everybody to take away? You know, I, I think you, you could start anywhere. That That's the thing, right? Like, don't let your past define you. If, you know, if people, your listeners, if they're listening to George right now, they, they want fed, you know, and you're, you're doing a great job of feeding them. And I think, um, you know, wherever they are, they can start. So, mm-hmm. you know, today could be the, the first day of your new journey and, and don't let your past define you. And I think that's where um, a lot of people just get hung up thinking about every failure that they had and, every uh, thing that happened to them and, and uh, everything they went through. And just, just remember that everybody starts, um, starts somewhere. And I love when you start reading about, um, you know, whether it's actors or entrepreneurs or, or, um, you know, anybody that started their career 
late, you know, and everyone will talk. I, I think my favorite one is probably Colonel Sanders, you know, started KFC when he was like 60. Like, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, you know, you can, you can start today. And I think that's, that's a good message to bring out there is, you know, believe in yourself and, and anybody can start from anything. Yeah, man. I, I love it. I, I can't even, I'm not going to add anything to that. I think that's so gold. And like, you are a walking example of that. Like set your focus and just start and go and you'll figure it out as you go. You'll make adjustments and learn. So man, it was an absolute honor and pleasure. I know we have many more in the can in the future. We'll, We'll be breaking pizza as soon as I start traveling again, and uh, I can't wait to share. And so thank you so much for being here. For everybody listening, make sure you go check out Nick, check out his podcast, check out his book. And remember, I'm sure I'm going to do an outro if I remember to do one. But if not, remember that relationships always beat algorithms. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you review, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode. And like I said in the beginning, and probably a ton of times throughout, make sure you subscribe to the show if you want to hear more. Now, leave a review if you like me. Actually, don't leave a review if you like me. Just leave a review if you feel so inclined. But I'm going to ask you because it helps other people find this. And I'm going to give you a little marketing lesson in the outro of this anyways. Go to mindofgeorge.com so you can get into our crazy family and also get a free gift my team and I made for you. Now, here's the thing. There's only four types of customer journeys and I'm sending you to one page to cover all of it. But our job is to give you everything that you need to succeed as an entrepreneur. See, what I want is I want you to be in our family. I want to be in a relationship with you. And I want you to have a win before I ever get a win. And so on that page, you'll see some of the best stuff that we have, our top podcast episodes, our free courses we put together, our free content. And there's one in particular that I'm super proud of. We put together a free 30-day transformational marketing course. Literally, just need your email so you can get in and get into the membership site. We talk about the two most important documents in your business, your lighthouse and your avatar sheet, which we now call the beacon of beliefs in your captain's assessment. We teach you about the conscious and subconscious customer journey, how to have congruency in your marketing, the psychology of email marketing marketing, the six email sequences that your business needs to have right now to win, the two most wasted pieces of real estate and digital marketing that you can fix right now, my special five-part email recipe, and how to reframe your card abandonment strategy so you don't insult people's intelligence anymore, plus whatever else I can come up with on a certain level of crazy, because my mission is to teach you that relationships will always beat algorithms, and I'm ready to be on your team, I'm ready to be in your corner, and it's time for you to win a gold medal. So make sure you go to mindofgeorge.com, and we'll see you in the next episode. I love you all. Bye.